My name is Matt Howell, and I am one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to Redeemer. If you're joining us from a place of joy or a place of sorrow, a place of faith or a place of doubt, however you find yourself this morning, we're glad to have you with us at Redeemer. Uh, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we're a community of people, and we are trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor as we rest in his love, as we remind one another of his love, and as we reflect his love to our friends and our neighbors here in Midtown. And if you would, go ahead and turn to page 10 in your bulletin. I want to draw your attention to some of the ways that we are trying to rest and remind and reflect his love. Um, first, under the rest section, we have these new prayer books that are available. They're on the little welcome table at the front. It's a great little way for you to personally uh, engage with God. There's different prayers written out, different little scripture passages, even different songs that you can sing as a, by yourself or as a family. These are free. These are for you. So if you want to just grab one on your way out, that would do us a, a great joy so that we don't have to throw them away. So take them. They're for you. Um, under the Remind section, this afternoon, we have our Intro to Redeemer class. This is a way for you to, if you're ever interested in exploring what is Redeemer, or how, how can, can we look under the hood to see what, what is it about this community, how do they think about things, why, why is this church here, We'll go over all of that um, today. That class starts at 4 o'clock. If you're ever interested in even joining our church in terms of formal membership, uh, we'd invite you to come and check, uh, be a part of that class. You can still sign up. You can still show up. There's a little link. You can sign up right now or sign up this afternoon. Or even if it gets to be 345 and you're like, oh, my goodness, I forgot to sign up. Can I still come? Yes. Please still come. We'll have food and drinks and Fun times waiting for you this afternoon, 4 o'clock. Right underneath that, um, we have a men's night this Thursday, uh, tax day, April 15th. I guess it's not tax day this year, the old tax day. This Thursday, we're going to hang out at Rail Garden, just, just, uh, just the guys this, this time around. I was wanting to name this event Mail Garden. But uh, maybe next time we'll call it Mail Garden. But anyway, if you want to come and hang out with us, grab a drink, grab some food, hang out with some, some people, uh, 7.30 this Thursday. The last thing that I will draw your attention to on page 11 under Reflect, uh, first of all, I want to thank those of you that signed up for our Serve Day, our very creatively named Serve Day yesterday when we... Um, helped out at Idlewild Elementary and did a bunch of landscaping work and, and, and stuff that they needed help with over there. Thank you all for those of you that helped uh, sign up and bless our neighborhood in that way. Um, another way that you can help serve our neighborhood is, you know, we're highlighting different partners that we're, we're, we're friends with, people that we link arms with in the city, and the Overton Park Conservancy is featured this April. I, I, I won't go through all the little bullet points, but you can see there are ways that you can volunteer personally or, or with your place of work. Uh, there's lots of different ways that you can give, lots of different avenues that they would love to receive your money. So, different ways that we can um, partner with and bless this um, organization that is really seeking to bless our city. So, that's it for announcements. Thank you for bearing with me. I would love to now invite Sally Pace to come up. She is going to be leading us in the prayers of God's people. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we turn the corner from Easter week and reflect on your actions after the resurrection, 
We find ourselves in the part of our, your beautiful love story to us where you ask us to share the good news with others. And as we look outside today in our neighborhoods and city, we're reminded that our God makes all things new. Specifically this month, we as Midtowners have the gift of Overton Park to enjoy. And as more of us venture out, may we as a church show your love through time and talent with our partners at the Overton Park Conservancy. As Christ followers, guide our words and actions so that our neighbors will see us and know that we're different for all the right reasons. As we navigate our lives in this beautiful, vibrant, and eclectic part of town, let us share your good news in a way that unequivocally lets people know there is a God who loves deeply and graciously. Help us be peace seekers and bridge builders, leading people to you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and celebrate Christ's resurrection together with this song.
darkness saving strength to show come then true and faithful now fulfill thy word tis thine altar morning rise obey lose the soul's long prison bound with Please be seated. And kids, four years old to second grade, if you would like to go to children's worship, you can meet Mr. Jake there in the back raising his hand, and you can go back with him for your lesson. Uh, if you're staying here, I invite you to join with uh, one of our members, uh, Margaret Pant, as she reads the scripture here for us this morning. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through us Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Uh, this 50-day season that goes from Easter to Pentecost, the, the church has traditionally referred to as Easter Tide, and this is a season where the church kind of takes a sustained reflection upon and celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And so during the season of Easter Tide, what we're going to do is we're going to try to tease out some of the implications of the resurrection, that if Jesus actually rose from the dead, what does that mean for our lives? How does that actually impact our day-to-day -day experience? And uh, to get into the passage that Margaret just read for us uh, this morning, I want to set it up by talking about a This American Life episode that I listened to a number of years ago. It's a famous podcast, This American Life. It's a story about a man named Ryan Knighton, not Ryan Viner, but Ryan Knighton, 
who got lost inside of his own hotel room. He tells the story, when he was 18, he started to go blind, and by the time he was in his early 20s, he had completely lost all of his vision. And so he grew up, he gets married, and he had this arrangement with his wife. Whenever he was traveling somewhere for work, he would call her the first thing he did whenever he got to a hotel room. This is the the days before cell phones. So he's traveling, he gets to this hotel room, and he, he, he starts to orient himself by finding the bed, and so he starts to try to look for where the phone is, and he assumes the phone is on the bedside table next to the bed, and he kind of feels his way over to the bedside table, and he feels around, there's a lamp, but no phone. Strange, but okay, maybe it's on the coffee table, and so he feels his way down the wall, and he feels, finds the sofa, and he feels that there's a coffee table in front of the sofa, no phone on it. And his description of it, he's like, I mauled the coffee table. Like, it's, there's no phone there. And so he, he feels his way through the whole room. He's mapping out the whole room in his head, and he's checking countertops, no phone anywhere. He even just, like, excavates the bathroom looking for the phone. No phone in this hotel room. So he, you know, kind of cuts his losses and goes to bed, only to wake up the next morning to the ringing of a phone. And so he rolls out of bed, and he gets the phone, and it's his wife. She's like, why didn't you call me last night? And he explains, I searched everywhere in this hotel room, and I checked this coffee table, and last night there was no phone on it, and now there is, and I don't know how it got there. So she, you know, you're cool, okay, I'm glad that you're safe. I, I was worried, but thanks for, glad to connect with you. So he hangs up and goes back to bed, only the bed is not there. It's now a wall, and he doesn't understand why is there a wall there instead of a bed, and he's feeling away around this room, and here's what he says. He starts to get a little terrified, and he says, I'm a grown man, and I'm lost in a hotel room. And it turns out there was this little alcove to the side of his room that he had just completely missed. He had mapped out 95% of this room except for this one little area that opened up this whole new world that he didn't even know existed. And here's what he said. He said, when you're blind, you just can't assume anything. The problem is you get a picture in your mind, and if you get it wrong, you just live inside the mistake. Now, that's 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 a heartbreaking statement, but it's a pretty profound statement. For him to say, when you get a picture in your mind about what the world is like, and if you're wrong, then you just live inside the mistake. What if there is this whole other world that exists, and it's just outside of your sight because you just assume that the way that the world is the way that it is, but there's something else out there, and you're seeing the world from inside of a mistake, The claim of the Bible is that there is this uh, whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes, to quote Aladdin. There is this whole new world right underneath our noses, and we might be missing it. The resurrection of Jesus was God's way of of jump-starting this uh, thing that the Bible calls the new creation. You see that language in our passage in verse 17? New creation is this unbelievably loaded concept in the Bible. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's an idea that really in some ways captures the entire storyline of the Bible. In fact, one of um, renowned New Testament scholar named M.T. Wright says that this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, is one of Paul's great summaries of what Christianity is all about. So if you are exploring Christianity, 
Or if you're just trying to figure out, okay, what is front and center of this whole Jesus thing? I think this passage will be extremely helpful for you. So, new creation, whole new world. I want to try to answer two questions this morning. What is it? And what does it matter? So if you want even simpler than that, you could say what and so what? So first, let's try to answer the what. The what. What is, what is the Bible mean when it talks about new creation? Well, as you can see in verse 17, Paul uses this language of old and new. The old is past and the new is here. And anytime you're using language of something old happened back then and something new is happening here, you're indicating some, some level of there's a timeline there. There's a story there. Something has changed in the way that the world is. And, and what is that? Well, to answer that question, you really do have to zoom out and, and try to understand the whole Bible story as a whole. And if you go back all the way to the beginning, the, Bi the Bible begins in the opening chapters with God creating all things good. In fact, if there's one word that were to jump off of the page, if you were to read the opening chapters of the Bible, it's that word good. It says God created this, and it was good, and God created that, and it was good. And then God steps back and looks at everything, and it's very good, meaning God designed the world to, to, to have harmony and beauty and, and, uh, and, and goodness and, and joy. This is why I think we instinctively, we, we, we love sunsets and we love strawberries. We love our coffee. These were all little indicators that we recognize that the world was designed to be good and beautiful and, and life-giving. And yet, this is also the same reason when we look out at the world... And we see poverty, and we see injustice, and we see violence. There's something in us that just breaks over it because we know at a primal level that's, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That supposed to instinct is a little bit of an indicator that I think we know deep down this world was designed for goodness and beauty and harmony. But obviously this is not the world that you and I woke up in this morning. Because we woke up in a world this morning with death and oppression and pandemics. So what happened to God's good world? Something catastrophic happened. Well, the story of the Bible goes on to say that human beings looked at God and we said, we're not really interested in you being in charge anymore. We want control of our lives. We don't like you up there calling all the shots. We want to call all the shots. And so we, we turned from him and assumed our autonomy. We severed the connection with him, and, and by doing so, we thought it was like severing an umbilical cord. And now we're free and we're independent, but we didn't realize it was more like severing a major artery, where now we are, we're bleeding out and we've, we've lost connection to this vital spiritual resource to keep us alive. And so death gets introduced to the world and decay and disaster and, and everything messed up. Here's maybe a helpful way to think about it. Um, have you ever heard of the great Boston molasses flood? You know what that is? I have never heard. I didn't know what it was until a couple of weeks ago. My two children at the breakfast table were telling me about the great Boston molasses flood. Listen to this. It's crazy. In, in January of 1919, in Boston, there was a massive storage tank of molasses to the tune of 2.3 million gallons. That's a lot of molasses. What were they doing with all that molasses? 
here's what they were doing. This was right before prohibition, and so they were stockpiling molasses to make alcohol from it before alcohol became illegal. And so they're trying to stockpile as much molasses as they possibly could. The only problem was this tank wasn't designed super well, or maybe it wasn't designed to hold 2.3 million gallons of this stuff. And so the thing just bursts, it explodes, and molasses goes everywhere. A two-story high tidal wave of molasses sweeps through the streets of Boston in every single direction. Now you would think, okay, it's gonna be as slow as molasses, right? It's gonna, it's not, it was a 35 mile an hour tidal wave. And molasses is, uh, it's thick, it's, uh, it's sticky, it was literally sucking people into it and drowning people. 21 people died, horrific, catastrophic damage. It was just picking up buildings and moving them, crazy. In fact, uh, I mean, again, I didn't even know that this had happened, but apparently to this day, locals say that on a hot summer afternoon, you can smell molasses in the air. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they said on the YouTubes. So, uh, but I think that that's a helpful image to kind of capture what the Bible is saying has happened to the world. That here is this good, beautiful world, and here's this dark wave of death and destruction that blasts out, and, and it gets into every nook and cranny of this good world. So now our very hearts, which were designed to love God and love our neighbor, they're now bent inward. We find ourselves selfish. And culture and society gets broken down and fragmented, and you have these tribes that hate each other, and they're throwing bricks at each other. Nobody can trust each other anymore. And you have oppression, and you have genocide, and you have racism, and you, and you have poverty, and you have injustice, and you have war, and you have pandemics. And this wave of this molasses of sin and death is just blasted through everything, and then you step back, and you're like, okay, who's going to clean this up? Who's going to clean this up? Well, the great hope of the Hebrew scriptures was that God himself was going to clean it all up. He was going to show up and just clean it all up in one fell swoop. This is the great hope that this old creation that was damaged and broken and messed up is going to give way to this new creation, this new heavens, this new earth where it's going to, it's going to be glorious and God's going to fix it. And so you have all of these Old Testament prophets that are looking forward to this day that instead of... Of, of the molasses of sin and oppression flowing through the streets. The Old Testament prophet Amos says justice is going to flow like water. And instead of uh, the, the thick molasses of sin and rebellion in our hearts, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel uh, says that God's going to give us new hearts to love him and to love other people. Instead of uh, the, the mo thick molasses of death just kind of covering the landscape of our world, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah says that death itself is going to be swallowed up and he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. This was the great hope. But of course, God tends to do the unexpected. And instead of just showing up and fixing it all at once, there's this big twist in the story where God does show up 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. God shows up only he doesn't fix it all at once. In his great mysterious providence, he decides to fix this thing gradually so that you have two worlds coexisting at the same time, the old creation and the new creation. Now, if that sounds crazy and weird, and I may have lost you, think of it like this. You know, my family is fairly new to Memphis. We moved here in May, almost a year ago, which is a little crazy to wrap my head around. 
Uh, but neither my wife or I, we really know anything about plants. And we bought this house, and we don't know what the previous owners did with plants. We don't know what landscaping choices they made. We don't know. We just, we just take what we received. And I had a friend come and visit us this past fall, and he was noticing these two you know, bushes by our front gate. And he says, do you know what these bushes are? And I was like, I don't know, basil? I don't know what that is. I know nothing. And he says, these are camellias, which to me means nothing. I said, what are camellias? He says, these things are crazy. They're going to bloom in winter. You just wait. And I waited. And sure enough, the end of November, beginning of December, sometime around there, when, when the yard was just, you know, looked like death, just barren, leaves had all fallen from the trees, the, the grass was that, you know, pukey, yellow-brown color. Here is the, the, these bushes that just have exploded, these pink flowers right in the midst of all of it. It was this crazy juxtaposition of all of this barrenness, all this grossness, and right in the middle of it, this invasion of color and life. With the resurrection of Jesus, here is this world that's just been devastated by the molasses of sin and the, 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 the stench of death, and right in the middle of it comes this invasion of color and life with the resurrection of Jesus. And here you have a person standing right in the middle of the devastation who is immortal and imperishable and glorious, and that becomes ground zero for this new creation that's about to go viral so that anyone who gets connected to Jesus by faith gets in on this new creation. That's what Paul is saying in verse 17. Look at it with me again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In fact, in Greek, Paul gets a little bit more dramatic because it's pretty brief. In the actual Greek language, all he says is, if anyone in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is saying, if you are in Christ, if you are connected to him by faith, not only are you new, you are now a part of a whole new world, a world that has been reconciled to God, a world that is restored and made beautiful, a whole new way of being. What God is ultimately going to do with the entire universe, you are getting in on the action early. That's what Paul is saying. In some ways, that's what the whole Bible is about. That's what Christianity is about. It is about a world that has rebelled against God. And yet, by astounding, mind-boggling grace, God has entered into it in order to reconcile the world back to himself and to renovate it, and to restore it. That's the what. Second, so what? You got work tomorrow, who cares? What does this have to do with anything? Well, let's look. Look at verse 18. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He's saying Christ is the one who has reconciled us to God. We're the ones that severed the connection. We're the ones that alienated ourselves and then found ourselves dying. And yet 
Jesus is the one who came after us and he drew us back to God. He reconciled us back to God. And how did he do it? He gives you a little bit more details down in verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is a massively loaded verse. I'm only going to talk about it for 10 seconds. Here's what he just said, though. On the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was completely innocent, was made to be sin, meaning he was treated as if he was the most sinful, selfish, abusive, misogynistic, racist person in the history of the universe, and he was crushed and obliterated in God's sight as a result. So that you could get his righteousness. Jesus gets rejected so that you can be reconciled. Okay, awesome. Now what? Well, go back up to verse 18. It says, after he has reconciled us to himself, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's involving us in the very thing that he's doing, this ministry of reconciling the world to himself. You see the same idea later in verse 19 when he says, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's the point. He draws you to God only to send you back out. The reconciling presence of Jesus is not just intended to flow to you, it's intended to flow through you. The person and the power of Jesus is not simply to be received, it is to be reflected. We are invited into this ministry. In fact, this is how Paul now sees how he fits into the world. Look at verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. If you consider yourself a Christian this morning... The resurrection of Jesus changes how you understand how you fit in the world. How you now see yourself is that you are somebody on mission. You're somebody who is now participating in this reconciling, renovating work that God is doing in the world. You are an ambassador of Jesus. That's what that just said. You're representing him to the world. You're living out your days representing him. That's what that just said. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see the world around you? Or are you living inside of a mistake? I think it's really easy for religious people to live their lives as if they are waffles. You know what I mean? Where you have all these different, uh, these, all, these little compartments and the kind of the syrup gets into each little little pocket, but it doesn't, it doesn't overlap. There's partitions. And so you, it's easy to kind of chop up your life and say, well, over here is kind of my, my family life. And I live over here. I live with this and live in this neighborhood. My kids go to this school. Great. And then over here, I have my, I have my um, work life and I want to have a good career and I want to work hard. I want to make some money because I want to buy some stuff. And then over here, I have my spiritual life and I've show up at church and I pray sometimes. I try to be a good person. You kind of have these different compartments and uh, but the problem is, is all these different compartments are partitioned. They don't impact each other. And I think this is why it's really po it's, it's possible that you have people with tons of resources 
that consider themselves Christians, but they don't think about the needs of the city. They don't think about race. They don't think about poverty. They don't, they don't think about crime because it's a, it's a separate compartment. But what if you were not designed to be a waffle, but a pancake, where the syrup just gets over everything, and your whole life is intended to be integrated, where if you are an ambassador of Jesus, that impacts how you think about your neighborhood, that if you're an ambassador of Jesus, that impacts how you think about your work. It all kind of bleeds together. What would that look like um, for you to think about yourself as participating in this whole new world of new creation right now? Well, again, there's a million ways we could answer that question, but I think here's one. I, I, I think partly you would want your neighbors to join the party. You would want your neighbors to, to share with you um, the, the hope of the resurrection. And so you'd want to get to know people that believe differently from you and think differently from you. And you'd want to put yourself in proximity to people that disagree with you about maybe things about ultimate spiritual reality. And you would want to share your life with them. You'd want to share with, uh, with them your joys and your burdens and your failures and also your faith. And you'd want to, you'd seek to learn from them as well, that they have so much to offer the world as well. You want to find those kind of overlaps of commonality and you become, you know, be in a relationship with them, become friends with these people. And uh, you, you would want to pray for them. You would want to be concerned about the same things that they're concerned about. You'd want to get involved in the needs of your neighborhood and think about how you can use your resources and your connections differently, how you can leverage your resources and your connections for the sake of other people. Which, by the way, this is one of the reasons why Redeemer is intentionally in this part of the city, why we're in Midtown, is we want this new creation to flood into every little pocket of this part of the city more and more so that this new creation becomes more and more and more visible here in this part of the of Memphis. We want our neighbors and our friends in Midtown to share with us in the hope of the resurrection. We want our friends and our neighbors in Midtown to find Jesus beautiful. We want our friends here, um, we, we want to see economic justice flow through the streets like Amos talked about. We want to see racial injustice and white supremacy dismantled. We want to see this part of the city flourish and thrive and pockets of neighborhoods where, where people struggle to keep their heads above water. We want to see those parts of our city develop and, and flourish. We want to see the new creation come in with force more and more so that people find Jesus more and more beautiful and believable. How does that happen, though? It happens when people who, it happens in a lot of ways, but at least what I'll say to you this morning is it happens when people who claim to follow Jesus stop living inside of a mistake. And they start to live as if they're a part of this whole new world that they are a part of. And they start to live their lives accordingly. It's by realizing that in Christ you are in fact his ambassador and you've been given this ministry of reconciliation and renovation. Now, I'll end with this, final thought. Um, I don't know if you know the name John Scully. I didn't know that name until a friend mentioned him a couple years ago. But in 1983, John Scully was the president of Pepsi. You might know in the 80s, Pepsi was just crushing it, just killing it. Like they're one of the major Fortune 500 companies. And 
he gets approached in 1983 by this no-name weirdo named Steve Jobs, who had started this computer company called Apple in his garage in 1976. And he approaches Steve, uh, he approaches um, uh, John Scully and wanted him to become his new CEO. And you, this is before the days when like computers were cool. This is like in the 80s when computers was, were associated with like computer nerds. And um, why in the world would John Scully leave this bazillion dollar company to go work for this like no name weirdo startup nerdy computer company? But Steve Jobs eventually convinces him to jump on board. And here's how he did it. Here's what it says. Jobs looked at him and said, listen, John, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want a chance to help change the world? And that, that did it. And that's an amazing question. You want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want to help change the world? I'm not going to ask you that question, but I'm going to ask you a form of that question. When you get to the end of your life, and you look back, do you want to look back over your life and say, I had some awesome experiences, ate some good food, had some, went on some great trips, which would be great. Or do you want to look back on your life and say, I was somehow involved in participating in changing the landscape of Memphis. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if in 20, 30 years from now, you had people come up to you just because you were rubbing shoulders with certain people in Midtown that would say to you, okay, I don't know who I would be or where I would be if you had not introduced me to Jesus. What if in 20, 30 years from now, there were not food deserts in our city? What if gun violence was dr dramatically reduced just because this little group of ragtag people put their heads together and got creative and partnered with different things in the city and we really got involved in what was happening? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be worthwhile to look back on your life and say, I somehow played a role through this ministry that God has invited me into of making all things new. That is this whole new world that we are actually living in. That's what God is doing, invading a world that is broken and damaged by sin with life, with new creation. And we have the privilege and the, the honor of being brought into it. Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us to know how we can get in on the action of you making all things new. I pray that you would give us a creative imagination and vision and uh, creativity to know how we can use our connections and our networks and our resources and our gifts to somehow labor for this new creation to take root more and more and more right here in our city. Thank you that you love us and you love this place as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.